Shalom. Gracious, those of you on site and those of you online. As Pastor Larry has said, we are in our family and sexuality series. Actually, we have seen how God relates to His creation through the various um, human relationships of which the family is foremost. And so as images of God, we are to represent Him in the different familial roles we play, whether as parents, um, as children, as well as spouse. But let me put up front that the Bible reveals Satan as the arch enemy of God. And he hates, he absolutely hates the creation of God. And so he's doing all he can to destroy, to distort, and to undermine God's images. Right? He starts with children. If he can you know, cause uh, dysfunction in the family, a child may grow up uh, being scarred. But if the child manages to grow up as a well-adjusted uh, adult and then gets into a marriage, he tries to destroy the marriage. And if that doesn't work, he tries to destroy us as parents. You know. So Satan knows his time is short and he's upping his pace to bring dysfunction into every stratum of society. So this second sermon, we want to address imaging God in marriage because God has designed marriage to draw couples closer to Him. Now, I don't know if you are aware that one of our five strategic pillars is marriage and family. How many of you already know that? Yeah? But it's always, can I tell you as a preacher, it's always dicey to preach about marriage. Why? Because the married will be saying, is he talking about us again? And then the unmarried is saying, hey, is he talking about them again? But, you know, there have been casualties in the pandemic and one of them is marriage. Till pandemic do us part. But with the easing of uh, COVID measures, right, in 2021, so not surprising, eh? there, in Singapore, marriages actually rose 25.1% as compared to 2020, 25.1%. But in that same duration, by the same token, divorces also rose, 13.4%. So this topic today is relevant and necessary. For the unmarried, it will be a topic that is good to know. For the married, it's a topic you better know. You better know. Because how well we image God in our marriages depends on our understanding, firstly, of the nature and secondly, of the purpose of marriage. Dennis and Rose Wingfield, in their book, uh, Calling Couples to Christ, they say this, if we do not understand marriage, we will never understand God. If we do not understand marriage, we will never understand God. So today we have to deal with two things. What is the nature of marriage, therefore? And what is the purpose of marriage? So the first thing we need to note, the sanctity of marriage. And that has to do with the nature. Say nature. Nature. It's about the nature. In every wedding, there is a key personnel that is so vital that without this person, the wedding cannot go on. So sometimes we call this person the celebrant because there is something, an event to be celebrated. Sometimes we call this person the officiant because there's something official to be officiated over. But I think the most important and most appropriate term for this person is the solemnizer. Because marriage is indeed a solemn affair. 
beyond the joys of the celebration, you know, of uh, friends and families, and uh, beyond uh, the formality of the marriage certificate. uh, is the solemnness, the sacredness that God has ascribed marriage. He calls it the holy matrimony. So since having, be, uh, having taken on the privilege of becoming one of the solemnizers in church, you have noticed not- noticeably uh, that there is a lower level of jokes in my sermon. <clears throat> because I've grown more solemn. <laughs> so today we are looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 to 33. But to capture what Paul is teaching us about this topic of marriage, we have to start not at the beginning, but towards the end. Because it is towards the end that he summarizes his teaching. So let's look at Ephesians 5, 31 to 32. Paul says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So when we talk about the sanctity of marriage, we are saying marriage is sacred. Marriage is holy, uh, and marriage is holy in two ways. First, marriage is sacred because it is instituted by God. Instituted by God. Now there are a few situations in life that require the presence of witnesses. A crime scene, an accident, and a wedding. But I think the most important one is the wedding. Because the wedding is when the culprits, not the culprits, the couple, the couple are exchanging their vows, not just in the presence of friends and families. They are exchanging their presence, what? Where? Who is, who is in attendance? It's God, right? They always say God is in attendance. So of all the witnesses, all the situations that require witnessing, I think the wedding is really the one that's most solemn because God is present to witness the exchange of vows. So according to Scripture, marriage is not first a human or social construct. Marriage is divinely designed and instituted by God Himself. Marriage is not just a good idea. It is a God idea. And it is only a good idea because it is a God idea. Amen? So every marriage has the larger purpose of pointing to and mirroring uh, the union the beautiful union, the unique union between Christ and His church. So in this way, we can fully say that marriage is indeed sacred. And the sacredness of this union between Christ and the church is one of permanence. Say, permanence. Permanence. So the covenant of marriage between a husband and wife mirrors the covenant of, uh, between Yahweh and Israel and between Christ and His church. It is an everlasting covenant, not subject to the changing needs, uh, changing needs of those involved. We can't be just throwing away our marriages just because our needs have grown beyond the ability to meet or we have grown tired of one another and desire a new interest. Because each time there is a breaking down, a divorce, whatever the reasons, distorts and shatters the image of God and the picture of God's relationship with us. Each time, there is a breaking of the vows through unfaithfulness. There's the danger of misrepresenting God as His images because marriage is sacred in its permanence. So marriage, the sanctity of marriage is not only seen in marriage being instituted by God, but by the way it's constituted. It's constituted by one male and one female. Genesis 1.27, you know this verse very well. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. 
male and female, he created them. And again in Galatians 3.28, now Paul is saying this, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. So what Paul is saying here, and we thank God that ethnicity, whether Jew or Greek, or biology, male and female, and social standing, slave nor free, they are no longer barriers to receiving the grace of God. While these distinctions remain, a Jew is still a Jew, a Greek is still a Greek, right? The male is still a male, a female is still a female. While these distinctions remain, yet all have equal access without distinction to the Heavenly Father through Christ. Now, when you know something, notice Paul, when he, did, when he said this, he said, neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. But he didn't say neither female nor male. You know. He didn't say neither male, right? What did he say? He said male and female. See, male and female are distinct but not contradicting. They, are, they work together as one unit, complementing, not completing. Now, to be sure, every human being, whether married or not married, right, is made in God's image. This is who we are. And so, the Jew, the Greek, the slave, the free, they all image God in their respective ways. But the male and female, male and, not all, male and female, work as a pair to represent God together. As God images, we are to rule with God, to rule together. The male and female partnership is uniquely constituted to reflect the beauty of Christ's relationship with the church and also their mission to the world. So now, not only is marriage constituted by members of the complementary sex, marriage is also sacred in its exclusivity. Say, exclusivity. That means marriage is the setting apart of a man and a woman a man and his wife in an exclusive relationship. Proverbs 18.22 says, The man who finds a wife finds a treasure, and he receives favor from the Lord. Now I'm going to paraphrase Benjamin Franklin. What he's saying is this. He said, before you're married, right, open your eyes big, big. You know, at the feel of potentials and possibilities, right? But once you're married, you're supposed to keep your eyes half closed, you know. No, the problem with that is some, some husbands, they found the treasure, right? Because whoever finds the wife finds a treasure. They find the treasure, but after that, still keep looking, you know. And that's the saying, and I think it's the right saying. It, it goes like this. The wedding ring is the smallest handcuff in the world. Because between my ring and my wife's ring, there is an invisible bond, connection. Some may call it chain. They cannot be broken, you know. So, recently my wife, Linda, she was talking about this. She said, she noticed, she said, hey, as you grow older, your ring finger has, gone, has grown fatter. It means that, wow, you know that ring is going to get tighter and one day you will have difficulty getting it out. So it's true. Actually, it's squeezing, squeezing the bottom of my, of my finger already. So as I was thinking about this, I didn't tell her, there are two possibilities. If ever the ring got so tight, right, there are only two things I can do. Cut the ring or cut the finger. <laughs> and as I thought about this, I thought, hey, playing the guitar with one less finger can be done. It's been done before. So that's not too bad, but you can't cut the ring. You can't cut the ring. Why? Because remember on the day that, that those of you who are married, you got married, what did the solemnizer say? He said, do you have a token? 
what token do you give to one another as a symbol of your covenant to love each other? As a symbol of your promise to be together. And what was that? That was the wedding, wedding ring. So the wedding ring symbolizes something. A treasure that is so important to you that you have to put appropriate boundaries you know, to protect this union. Is it going to be a bed of roses? Surely not. But this exclusivity in marriage means that despite the potential for surprises, flaws, heartache and pain, those married are to keep their vows till death do us part. In health, in sickness, in plenty, in want, in joy and in sorrow, marriage is after all sacred and exclusive. So multiple sex partners are therefore a mockery. It is likened to worshipping other gods besides Yahweh. When we treat sex as a commodity, as a recreational activity between two sexually attracted parties outside of the marriage covenant, we not only devalue God's gift of sex, but also the sanctity of marriage. Because adultery not only breaks the wedding vows of exclusivity between humans, it is also similar in a spiritual sense to idolatry, which is expressively forbidden in Scripture, because in both cases there is unfaithfulness. The forsaking of the call to loyalty, the former between spouses and the latter between human and God. So marriage is sacred in its exclusivity. One male and one female for life. A holy matrimony. And the couples will say, Amen. Yeah? Because marriage is sacred, it is not up to us to impose our ideas, to try to update or improve this original design based on our whims and fancies. God is the one who instituted marriage and only one male, one female union is able to reflect Christ and his church. Now, any other union is a distortion to God's blueprint for marriage. For those who are, of us who are married, sexual temptations are not to be flirted with because none of us is invulnerable. Sexual indiscretions and emotional and, and erotic entanglement can lead to extramarital affairs. And these are not only damaging to the families involved, uh, but more critically, they lead to the desecration of the sanctity of marriage. We destroy the sacredness of marriage. And so thus far, we have learned that marriage is about God. But of course, marriage is also about us, which is the second point. So the sanctity of marriage will lead to what? The sanctification in marriage. This has to do with purpose. Say, purpose purpose. See, God has designed marriage to be sanctifying in its purpose. So marriage is not just a good idea dreamt up by society to legitimize sex, but it is the crucible in which holiness is forged. The intention is that Christ-likeness be formed through the interaction of two lives living under the Lordship of Christ. Unlike the popular idea of marriage being the fulfillment of two independent individuals discovering love and self-satisfaction, marriage has the collective goal of sanctification, to be holy, not just to be happy. We ask couples what they look for in a spouse, right? Most of them will say something like the movies, you know, to complete me, find somebody to complete me. I think I've not heard anyone say, oh, to change me. Yet, God uses marriage to transform us, 
to change us into Christ-likeness through three steps. The first step in Ephesians 5 tells us it is in exercising mutual submission. Verse 21 to 24. Paul said, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to, in everything to their husbands. And so this, this injunction to submit is a general injunction. It applies to everybody. We submit to one another. However, this call to submission is also seen in, in its uh, uh, particularities, which is between the wife and the husband. It is not the subordination of all women to all men, but only the wife to the husband. And those of you who are unmarried say, Amen, amen. So actually the unmarried woman, uh, unmarried woman is actually more free than the married woman. Hey, thanks, Pastor Tracy. <laughs> so why is Paul bringing this up, right? Some of you say, oh, it doesn't seem fair, right? It huh? doesn't seem fair. You say, oh, but God is not into fairness. He's, in, he's a just God. Right, uh? Then the wife says, hey, that means God is just, not fair. La. Same. Uh. So why is Paul doing this? Paul is saying, in the Greco-Roman world, as well as in the Jewish world, it is patriarchal. What it means is this, that male leadership, whether at home or at work, in the family or in society, male leadership was the norm. Men called the shot, men ran the show. And it was to this social setting that Paul offers a corrective. Based on what? Based on his theological insight into this mystery which is said in verse 32. This mystery, what's this mystery? This mystery is the understanding of two things, the headship and the submission. Right? The headship and submission. There's a divine structure and order of authority based on headship. In 1 Corinthians 11.3, Paul says right, very clearly, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. Okay, let me put it this way. The head of the wife is the husband. And the head of every man is Christ. And the head of Christ is God the Father. So there's also reverse direction. As Christ submits to the Father, every man submits to Christ and every wife submits to the husband. So the manner in which headship and uh, submission, the headship of Christ is seen and the submission of the church to Christ is seen is the same manner and the measure we should operate in these two areas within the family. Amen? Okay, so too many things there, but the long and short of it is this. In the gospel-centered marriage, the husband's headship is not in lording over, but in loving his wife. It's to undergird, not overbear. It's to bless, not to burden. The husband's headship is to represent God in protecting his wife. And moreover, in emulating Christ as Savior, the extent of the husband's headship is this when required, is to give his life for the life of his wife. And the wife said, Amen. Okay, in response, right? In response, the wife is to submit to her husband's headship, not with reluctance, but with respect. And all the husbands say, Amen. No, we see, we see this in God's headship over Christ, that Christ did not grudgingly accept the Father's will, but he did it with reverence and surrender. And we see how the, how the church submits to Christ's headship, not in fear and trepidation. 
And so it, it is, in the same way, the mutual submission between the husband and wife should yield what? Mutual joy, both for the benefactor, which is the husband, and the beneficiary, which is the wife. Both are blessed as they serve one another and receive the benefits of fulfilling their God-given complementary roles. So how do you have harmony in marriage? How do you have harmony? You sing the same song, but you just sing different parts. Huh? Okay, the third thing. Oh no, second thing. The first thing was mutual submission. The second thing is to follow the example of Christ. Now husbands, you have to listen to this. Verse 25 to 30. If you know this passage well, you already know what you're going to you know, hear. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. So by the time I was 21, I had already fallen in and fallen out of love. So that was one of the reasons why I came to the Lord. But even as I became a Christian, I was not looking out for any more relationship. I was quite happy with the Lord. Until one day I heard a message, a sermon from this same passage by a preacher. And then I realized, learning from what he said, you know, love has to be bigger than our human definition. And marriage has to have a bigger narrative than two persons falling in love. You know. I realized that. And then from that moment, I said, if I were to get married, it was first to showcase the relationship between Christ and the church rather than fulfilling my agenda and ambition. So as Christ is to the church, the husband is to the wife. And we know that every wedding, uh, the centerpiece is love. But I want to ask, what kind of love? What is the love that husbands are supposed to emulate and demonstrate? So if you want to follow Christ, there are two, kinds, uh, two ways. The first one, love is spelled this way. Love is not spelled L-O-V-E. Of course, Pastor Steve told us it is L-O-V. Never mind, that was a, the other sermon. But love is spelled as commitment and sacrifice. Commitment and sacrifice. So whenever I feel I have to you know, die to self to accommodate my wife, or ask, oh, why me? And that doesn't happen often. But if I were to ask that, I remind myself quickly, you know, of the initiative that Christ took on my behalf, on our behalf, rather. And when I, when I view that against the extent of Christ's self-giving, my sacrifice pales in comparison. It is not insignificant, but it is quite small in comparison. Right? Marriage is discipleship to the max. You know, the continuing dying of self. If husbands were to be like Christ, to be Christ-like at all, this area of loving one's wife as Christ loved the church must be at the forefront. And it needs to be observable and audible. So husbands, your love cannot be the undying kind. You know. It has to be the willingness to die kind. Okay, the first, love is spelled as commitment and sacrifice. Second, love always seeks the betterment of the other. So like Christ, the husband is to build his wife towards holiness by nourishing, by cherishing, by cleansing her from any blemish or wrinkle. His joy is to see the wife flourishing. And the health and the glow of his wife is a testimony of the husband's loving care. But this gets increasingly more difficult as we age, isn't it? Yeah? With all the moisturizers and the skincare lotions from all over the world, especially and including Korea's, uh, 
and with the constant scrubbing, it's an uphill battle. Because we can only what? You can only delay the onset of wrinkles and blemishes. We cannot stop it. But thankfully, Paul is referring not just to the external rejuvenation. He's referring to the inner, inner person in us. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And so ladies, when you see a new wrinkle emerging, you just have, have to what? Don't despair. Thank God. There's something inside is happening. You're growing more and more like Christ. Okay, husbands, we have to give proper and close attention to how our wives are doing in their development and growth and address areas of concern, especially when they have given themselves fully you know, at work and also managing the household. So if we are to love our wives, we, we must regularly appreciate them, uphold them and care for them as Christ would care for his church. Husbands, let's give our wives a hand. Why, why did you stall there? Because, yeah, you, you think, is, is he saying this literally or is he saying this metaphorically? No, I'm saying this literally. Don't just give them a, an applause. Give them a helping hand. You know? They need a hand more than an applause. Amen? Now that one you should clap. Okay, so, so how is God sanctifying us in our marriages? First, he said, the mutual submission, exercise that. Second, he said, follow the example of Christ. Third, he said, be empowered by the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Some of us miss this because this starts before the main section. In, in fact, it's in verse 18b that Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. And then he lists down a few things that happen that, can, that happens when we when we are filled with the Spirit. Verse 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So that's connected to the Spirit, the filling. And this filling is not one time, but it's present and continuous filling with the Spirit. This verb, filled, is in the plural, meaning both husbands and wives are to be filled with the same Spirit. And this Spirit's infilling is imperative, it's a command, be filled, because the Spirit's ministry is what is first to exalt Christ and to glorify Christ through and in us. But before we dismiss this infilling of the Holy Spirit as something Pentecostal, it's a Pentecostal pet topic, right? Here, I want to give you a small sampling of what non-Pentecostals and non-Charismatics say about verse 18b, be filled with the Spirit. We start with Charles Swindoll. He says, I don't know of a more important verse in the New Testament for the Christian than Ephesians 5.18. He says, honest, no exaggeration. So Charles Swindoll says, this is the most important verse in the New Testament. Ray Pritchard, he says, the filling of the Spirit is the most important doctrine of the spiritual life. It is foundational to everything else. There is nothing we need more. One more. John MacArthur. He says, if we do not obey this command, Ephesians 5.18, to be filled with the Spirit, right? We cannot obey any other. Wow. Simply because we cannot do any of God's will apart from His Spirit apart from God's Spirit. So being filled with the Spirit, it's how we are going to be sanctified. It's how we can love one another. It's how the wife can submit to the husband. Right? See, Paul puts this first as an overriding uh, statement. You know, Be filled with the Spirit and all the rest follows, including submit to one another. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because you know, submitting to one another is next to impossible without the intervention of the Holy Spirit. Paul knew 
that the ability to mutually submit to one another was not natural. It went beyond human willpower and desire. It went against the insistence on one's rights and freedom. It can only be the result of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Be filled. Be filled is also in the passive voice, meaning we cannot do it. Some, there must be an action that's acted upon us. Be filled. So in short, Paul is saying, this power is not within us. We have to be filled with the Holy Spirit if we were to follow the example of Christ, if we were to mutually submit to one another. So this outworking of the, this supernatural infilling is what? It's thanksgiving, gratitude, fullness of joy. Not grudgingly, but with joy. These are the ingredients necessary to handle the hard work of discipleship, character formation, and sanctification. Now as a pastor, how I wish there was a cheat sheet, you know, when the going gets tough, I just hand you something, you know, you just follow this. But we can't cheat because that's not biblical, right? That's not Christian. We don't have to cheat because we have the Holy Spirit. And He is more than enough to shave off human pride and stubbornness and to resource us with ample forgiveness and acceptance. You know. Unsurprisingly, qualities that strengthen any marriage, such as self-control, perseverance, patience, are also part of the fruit of the Spirit. So marriage presents a unique setting and opportunity for sanctification, which is the process of becoming like Jesus Christ in every area of our lives. No other relationship is so intimate, so disarming, so vulnerable, so raw. Without the love of Christ and without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the possibility of just having the possibility of hurt, betrayal, bitterness, conflict, disappointment can Result, you can think, it can easily result in brokenness, fractures, breakdowns. But marriage is a lifelong laboratory for Christian discipleship that requires both to commit themselves to stick together through the thick and the thin, to honour their wedding vows till death do us part, and that wives will not look for love, nor husbands look for respect outside their marital bond. Amen? Okay, let me close with this. We started with Dennis and uh, Rose. Dennis and Rose Wingfield's quote, right? What, what did he say? Do you remember? If we don't understand marriage, we can't understand God. Right? I'm going to close with another quote from the same book. It says, It is so important for husbands and wives to live joy-filled, faithful, lifelong marriages. If the culture is to understand God, it needs holy witnesses to be f- to free, faithful, total, and fruitful love. What is he saying? He said, you cannot, if you don't understand marriage, you won't understand God. But the culture won't understand God if they don't see Christ-centered marriages. So if the culture is to understand God, it needs holy witnesses, you and me, you and I, to be f- to free, faithful, total, and fruitful love. So as we we are being sanctified in marriage, we glorify God in the world. Amen? So build each other up as fellow images of God. So today, as we close this time, I want to give us a time to respond to God. My question is simply this. Are you committed to your marriage as much as Christ is committed to the church, you know. Husbands, wives. 
know if you're struggling in your marriage, you're not alone. All of us struggle in our marriage. But will, will we allow our sinfulness and our pride to stop us from seeking what God has for us, the resources that He has on our behalf, to come to Him in prayer? God made marriage as a gift to bring people closer to Him. But Satan's ploy is to divide, is to disrupt, is to cause us to drift away from one another and to cause us to drift, in effect, away from God. We need to pray against the schemes of the enemy. We need to be invested in defending our marriages because there's more at stake than just two persons or your family. It's the glory of God in the world. It's the testimony of who God is to His church, the love that He has and how the church faithfully obeys Him. See, our upbringing also can bring with itself uh, tendencies, undesirable traits, maybe values. And that requires us sometimes to go through a process of counselling and mentoring to reverse these tendencies and to replace them with healthy traits. So in short, you don't have to do this alone. You have spiritual help, but also you have human help. You know? So if you need to, seek counselling. Seek counselling to improve the health of your marriage. But go seek counselling together. So all eyes closed, all heads bowed. If this is your prayer today, I want you to just lift up your hand to the Lord. And what's this prayer? This prayer is, God, restore the passion in our marriage. No one looking, if that's your prayer this morning, and you say, God, that's my prayer, just lift up your hand to the Lord. Lift up your right hand to God. Say, God, my prayer, restore the passion in my marriage. Yes? Yes, anyone above? Yeah? The Lord bless you as you do this. Amen. Lord, you see these hands, you see these hands. They're crying out, God, restore the passion. Restore the passion in our marriage. The Bible says that husbands, you are to love your wives, not lot over them. As you receive love from God, you are to love your wives. And wife, you are to submit to your husband, not with reluctance, but with respect, as your husband submits to the Lord. But both of these need something more than we can produce out of ourselves. It needs the example of Christ and it needs the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Today, if your prayer is, Oh God, restore the purpose to my marriage. If that's you, I also want you to put up your right hand. Yes, thank you. Lord, restore love and respect in my marriage. Shall we all stand? Shall we all stand? As the worship team leads us, and if you're a husband here with your wife, those of you online, those of you on site, you know, I would encourage you to come forward to receive prayer this morning because God wants to restore passion in your marriage. God wants to restore to you purpose in your marriage. 
more than just between both of you. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the struggles you have you have gone through. But God wants to do something. He wants to endow you with His passion. He wants to endow you with His purpose. So as the worship team leads us, come forward so that we can pray with you. But I also understand some of you, you know, you know others, maybe your loved ones who are not here. But you can represent them in proxy by coming out to be prayed for. You know that they need a breakthrough in their marriages. You know that they're struggling. You know that they're not able love each other the way Christ loves and there's constant conflict constant argument constant unforgiveness I invite you also to come if you're coming alone that's fine we just want to support you and pray with you for the breakthrough in your families so as the worship team leads us the altar is open just come come Holy Spirit fall on me now I need your anointing. The altar is open. I invite as many couples to come forward because I believe God is doing something. As Pastor Mitchell was speaking, some of our love thing has somehow or other been depleted. And you know who you are. Would you come? Allow God to fill you once again. This is family time. This is not about who is coming. No, no, no. It's a family time. Would you come? You want to see as many couples to come because your marriage is important to God. It's important to us as a church. Come here, even your your spouse is here. You can come as well. Thank you, Lord. Every day I grow to love you more. Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus. I'm reaching for your heart. Hallelujah! You hold my life in your hands. Thank you, Jesus. Drawing me closer to you. The district leaders, if you are here, would you come and pray for the couples at that Friday altar? Leaders, you are here, would you come? Let's pray for the couple who are responding to God. Hallelujah. The rest of us, shall we worship the Lord? Hallelujah. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fall on me now. I need your anointing. Come in your power. Lord, come and feel every. I love you, Holy Spirit. You're captivating my soul. And every day I grow to love you more. I'm reaching for your heart. You hold my life in your hands. Drawing me closer to you. I feel your power in you. Nothing compares to this. Closer to you, 